commit to the play and don't feel like you're the worst one in the class. It's really cool to kind of see them think outside of the box. Sometimes those criticisms aren't necessarily right. It's a great idea, but it has to be educational. Well, sometimes, you know, having a place that's cheaper, like cost of living and stuff like that mm -hmm. gives you some, you know, more expendable income to like actually yeah. do what you want to do instead of, you know, like everyone has these dreams of like moving to San Francisco or New York City or some mm -hmm. of those big places like that because, oh, that's where I can make it, yeah. you know? But sometimes like the just the sheer like competition and just to have a place to live, not even in a kind of workforce kind of place mm -hmm. like that can make it just so prohibitive yeah. to even get that going. I mean, yeah. there's a privilege that comes along with being able to grow up and live in one of those places. But. Yeah, that's something like New York is definitely like the dream. I feel like magnetized to it, but all the time I'm thinking like, how do you afford anything yeah. ever? <laughs> like, man, that's crazy. Well, yeah, and I think when, you, when you are an artist, you really want to be thinking about your art and not what, trying to put food on the table. Exactly. And I think a lot of the best traditions have come from people who had, you know, patrons and mm -hmm. were able to help pay for the other stuff to free up their mind so that they can really work on things that they were more passionate about and kind of put things into more risky enterprises, you mm -hmm. know, something that's not as commercial because something like that is never as innovative or interesting yeah i'm always thinking like in terms of uh i heard this a, a while ago but so your main job is like your 70 percent of your time your effort your energy then you have like your side thing that you want to turn into 70 mm. but the 20 it's like 20 percent. so you have like some time after work or some time after class you can kind of put in some groundwork for that and then the last 10 percent is just like leisure mm. and so sometimes even without trying the 10 percent grows and I'm a little lazy at work, but then other times it's like my 70 is more like a 90 and I'd have hardly any time to work on my side thing because then I get too passionate about one field and I'm trying to care about everything equally, but obviously that doesn't work out either. You know, I, for me, it's a, a little bit different and I actually feel very like creatively satisfied in the job that I have. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because like I work really, really hard to do that job. And if it goes really well, it actually gives me more energy to work on those other things that I feel, you know, uh, are different areas, but are also creative endeavors, like hmm. maybe work on some music or do some writing and stuff like that. I mean, I'm the weird kind of person that like, after I get home from work, I'll like sit down and write an essay for fun. <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. But um, just because, you know, you have thoughts and when you're doing some, physical labor, like working in the winery, you know, you have time to actually think about things too. And you're not doing as much of what I call um, emotional labor when you work mm -hmm. in some place like a service industry job, when you're really talking to people all the time because you're centering their feelings all the time. And I don't know about you, but that's really exhausting for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, it is. And being able just to like physically work while being able to free your mind to let loose mm -hmm. kind of gives you, you know, let those creative juices flow every once in a while and kind of figure out some solutions to some of the problems that I have. Like I'm weird. Like <laughs> during harvest, especially when I'm making wine, like I will dream about wine and then in the morning I'll know exactly what I need to do the next day to figure out this problem. I've had moments like that too, where it's, you're sitting there thinking and thinking and thinking and there's no obvious solution. And the second you kind of let mm -hmm. go of it, you have like dream or an idea. And then it's like, this is the clearest roadmap I could have. Yeah, exactly. So speaking about wine, I'm here with Mark Phillips. Welcome to the green room. We're going to be talking about label design, 
wines in general and packaging. So tell me, how did you even get into the wine business? Well, I was one of those weird people that, you know, like went to college and like actually worked in the field that they graduated from. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo um, and I started in 2008 and then I got my degree in wine and viticulture from there. And you know what? I, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a 17 year old applying for colleges, I was kind of an idiot. And I was like, oh, this sounds fun. You know, wine, that's good. And that was the major that I picked. And for Cal Poly, at least, you had to declare a major before you went in. Mm -hmm. And I think I got lucky that I actually really liked my major from day one. And um, it wasn't really until I started working in the industry until I figured out that's really what I wanted to do for, you know, hopefully life. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I think I was 19 when I did my first harvest. So when I, my first year there, I just went to school. My second year, I took fall quarter off and then just worked mm -hmm. and worked full time. And that was the year I was like, wow, this is this is great. This is really, really fun. It's hard and it's backbreaking work. But at the end of the day, you like have something to show for all of the work that you did. Yeah. Something physical, mm -hmm. <laughs> something that you can like taste and drink and you know, enjoy. And then since then, I would always take as much time off to work as possible from school. And, um, you know, like honestly, like wine and viticulture was not the hardest possible uh, major that I could have gone into. And, um, you know, I just, I, I, I did fine. You know, I mm -hmm. did pretty well in my class and I really enjoy learning and stuff like that. But I just like the work was what really... I enjoyed so much more. So that's just what I started to do. And after I graduated, um, it was bleak, man. <laughs> There's like not much work out there. Yeah. And um, I started um, mo most of the time in the wine industry. It's, it's very cyclical. Most people get hired for harvest. Mm -hmm. So most of the new hires get, har uh, you know, they start around you know, July, August, September, something like that, right around the first time you get fruit because you kind of double the amount of workers that you have at any one facility at that time. And then usually the people who are good are the ones who are offered full-time positions and the ones who are okay. not good are not asked to come back. So what do you do on the when you're not harvesting? What's the rest of the process like? Oh, well... That is, uh, it just depends on how many other components of the wine industry you include. But if you're st speaking strictly just the winery and that's it, there's really not that much to do after harvest. You, you make all your wine, you put it in the barrels, and you just don't touch it <laughs> for a while. And uh, that's usually how it goes. So uh, for us here in Arizona, the harvest starts around August and it's over around September, although this year was really long. It went in through October. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was basically just tidying all up, barreling it down, doing lots of inventories, making sure the wines are okay. And then in January, we haven't touched the wine. We haven't done any wine thing for like the last three weeks, something like that, oh, wow. other than just paperwork kind of stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, government reporting and stuff like that. All the, you know, fun, interesting parts of winemaking in the creative process. But then after that, then things start ramping up again. We start working on our new blends and we start bottling and blending a lot of our wines. And that's that's more um, tactile. And those are the kind of things that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, just tasting all the different components and then blending them together at different proportions to get a wine that we feel that is the best use of the volume that we have, as well as the one that is the most pleasing to Okay, so definitely because you're creating a consumable, your your aim is experience of taste, the satisfaction mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. How do you then use product design 
to get people to want to pick it up before they taste it? Or is there a double-ended process there? Well, it kind of goes both ways. And I think in the wine industry, you have really two camps. You have the traditionalists, so people who have very simple designs like this one. This is a, a Ridge Vineyard uh, Petite Syrah. A Ridge Vineyard is the one, a very old, excellent winery out of uh, the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And they've been around... 60 years, something like that, and they, they make fantastic wines. But they have had a very iconic, simple design, but it's all in the details. And in this design, what I really like about it is the cream-colored background with the little uh, accents of green in the ridge and the mm -hmm. Petite Syrah, as well as a typography that was custom-made for the label itself. So it's very distinctive, and you see it in a lot of their other branding. And, and the back, it really just explains what happens with the wine. So this one really isn't about the art as much as it about the uh, information. Mm -hmm. So it conveys its information well and clearly, and that's why I like a label like this. Oh, gotcha. As okay. opposed to something a little bit more artistic, so to speak. So this one is the One Stone from Bodega Pierce, which is one of my favorite wineries around here. And on the label, it's a picture of a moon and two birds. And for me, what I really like about this label is it's a play on the word two birds, one stone. Mm -hmm. And I think it really clearly communicates that with the words that are on the front as well as the images. Although the varietal and what kind of wine this is certainly takes the back seat in this case. So it's mm -hmm. more about kind of giving a uh, more satisfying narrative than is about giving some uh, information. Okay. But on the back, it does have all that stuff as well. So our packaging is going to, we almost want to portray more of an idea with the package. Mm -hmm. And so when you, like, you pick up one of these, you immediately have an expectation depending on the image you see or the, the letters we read. Yeah. And so then how does the taste back that up? Well, I think you have two different sets of consumers as well. You have the people who are a little bit more wine savvy, who know exactly what they're looking for. So that's why a label like this would probably be better for that type of demographic, because they know what they want and they're looking for it, as opposed to someone who doesn't really know what they want. And that's generally most other people who drink wine. They're yeah. not, they just, you know, enjoy having a glass of wine at the end of the day, which is great. That's what you should do. Um, but they're kind of looking for something more memorable as an image, mm -hmm. as opposed to memorable as like a statement. Like this is Cabernet Sauvignon or something like that. Yeah. You know, like something like this, I think, would be more appealing to that kind of demographic. Or even something like this is our blacklisted for Golden Rule. This is where I work. And uh, this one is really interesting because the name blacklisted is backed up by some of the other images that are going on here. It's kind of like that Hollywood theme. Mm -hmm. And that actually comes from a story. Um, originally, this wine was called the Black Diamond. And we got a cease and desist order from Francis Ford Coppola, who has a winery in California, and he has uh, wines that are called the Diamond Collection. So he said that we can't use the word diamond in our labels at all. Really? And that is really, really, really commonplace in the wine yeah. industry. Is <laughs> getting cease and, cease and desist orders from Francis Ford Coppola in particular, actually. It's very common. But what I think was fun, for, as us, we kind of took a lean-in approach to it. So instead mm -hmm. of, like, trying to fight, it was like, whatever, we'll just give it up. And then we did this whole homage to, like, you know, blacklisted Hollywood people for yeah. this label, which I think was a much more satisfying narrative. Now, obviously, you would have to go to the taste room to hear that whole story, but it is communicated in some level through the label itself. Mm -hmm. And I think labels can serve many different functions. And just as other works of art 
can be understood from a really shallow level. But the more you get to know it, the more you know about the story behind it, you understand it a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're trying to go for with a lot of our labels. There is okay. a little bit more than meets the eye. Gotcha. So I've been to several of the wineries here in Wilcox, never to taste, but mostly just to kind of hang out and walk around. Explain to me the the environment of the, the winery, because they all seem fairly up, like higher class. You walk in, you kind of feel something immediately. The tasting room or the winery? The tasting room, sorry. Um, yeah, well, yeah, because if you've been to our winery, you would know that it's not what it looks like. It's very <laughs> industrial chic at best. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when you're in a tasting room, you have this expectation of having some a clean, inviting area. And I think having um, not too loud of sort of decor is mm -hmm. also pretty important because the focus is supposed to be on the product, the wine itself. Um, so that's really what we focus on. Not a lot of the extra smells, not like tons of bright colors and stuff like that or loud music. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're driving and you, there's some obstruction, so you turn down the volume in your car. It's that sort of idea. You want to turn down the volume uh -huh. on life really so that you can concentrate on the wine that's right in front of you and enjoy, you know, the smells and the taste and the look of it a little bit more. So that's the philosophy. I think, I don't know if everyone actually thinks about that as much, mm -hmm. but you know, I've worked in a lot of different places under a lot of different circumstances, and I feel like that's a pretty general uh, trend that holds true to most of the wineries. That's really interesting. I didn't think about that. But yeah, now that it, you bring it up, I, every, all of the stuff in there is very subtle. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's what we try to go for. When you're doing your, your marketing with your, your brand name and everything, are you keeping to a single type of theme or voice or depending on each blend of the wine do you try to approach a different market well i think the wines themselves have an identity and i just want to reinforce that identity with the label itself mm -hmm. uh, and as far as the branding goes i didn't bring some of our single varietals but um our single varietals all have the same label with a just different color coding so that it makes it easier for customers and employees, frankly, to make sure they're pouring the right one mm -hmm. um, at that time. But the other wines um, that have labels like this, like the Cobra Lome or the Blacklisted, those are our blends. Mm -hmm. So they uh, need to have their identity uh, reinforced a little bit more because they don't have something recognizable. Like a consumer okay. would understand like a Cabernet Sauvignon. They have some sort of expectation about what it's gonna taste like or a Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to what's a Cobra Loma, like I don't know. <laughs> I mean like if you go to a taste room, I would explain to you that it's it's a GSM, it's a Grenache Syrah Movedra, which is a pretty common wine that you make um, in California, the Rhone Valley. It's very frequently blended together. Mm -hmm. uh, but we need to reinforce that and um, the name comes from mines. And okay. I remember going back to the whole Black Diamond thing. Uh, that came from a mine that yeah. was right by our original, our tasting room and um, vineyards out there. And all the other names come from mines in the surrounding area, like Commonwealth, Cobra Loma, uh, Copper Queen, things like that. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the theme that tied them all together. And yet again, you probably wouldn't know that unless... You, you put two and two together, and but most people don't understand that until the end. But I tried to give some little subtle designs in this one. There is actually um, a mine cart that's going into the mountain here. Yeah. And then we thought copper, cobra is copper in Spanish, and loma is the, the soil itself. So we thought, like, let's give it some earthing 
greens and tans mm -hmm. with a little bit of copper accents. So I think just even the color choices were really supposed to reflect the words themselves, even if they're in a different language. I love that. That is amazing. And do you do all your own designs or you have someone else doing? I don't. Um, I'm not really as much. I have ideas and mm -hmm. I have my own label as well. And those ones are going to have a much different designs on yeah. them uh, than these kind of things like that. But um, for them, I try to just edit things. Like I have some thoughts about it. I'd like, I uh, tell our designer, like, these are kind of what I want to go for. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you can put some different things on there and then I'll say, yes, let's do more like this or no, let's do less. Okay. But like, for instance, I mean, I do the, the back and I'll, I'll just read this really quickly. Uh, the copper, the Cobra Loma name, which translates as Copper Hill from Spanish, was derived from a mine from in the nearby Middlemarch Pass. This blend of Grenacera, Movedra, or GSM delivers bright red fruit and savory herbs with an elegant, smooth finish. Versatile and distinctive, this wine is best paired with family gatherings and everyday pleasures. You know, like, so I'm more of like a word, like I write more mm -hmm. than I do, like do some artistic sort of stuff. And actually, that wasn't the best example. Some of the other ones have like more like uh, indicative of the uh, actual label design. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the, most of it is just going back and forth with the artist itself. Yeah. Because I think most artists could do it, but they just need some sort of direction because it's not supposed to be a reflection of the artist. It's supposed to be a reflection of the wine and of the owner's. So walk me through, let's say I'm getting into, let's say I'm your artist or I'm getting into your position now. How would you train me in a day to kind of express my words, to match the experiences, and then maybe give me an idea for the art? Well, I, I think I would want to see your personal style first and foremost mm -hmm. and how you can be genuine to how you do art normally that kind of translates my thoughts through and goes through your filter that is kind of what i'm looking for too and the guy who does our labels he does a lot of labels for other people too mm -hmm. and i often and most of the time it's through me i give introduce him to the clients and then we're like okay let's work through this and figure out what they want to do and i'm brutal when it comes to analyzing people's labels yeah. because there's some really bad ones out there and <laughs> i need to make sure that like you know this is important packaging because you can do everything else right the wine can taste good but if the packaging looks like garbage people are not gonna want to buy it mm -hmm. so i my thought is like why don't you try to make a label that people would save after the wine is gone because they just enjoy the aesthetics of it but anyway, going back to the uh, some of the other label designs, I think if they don't express the that winery's identity, it's a total failure, mm -hmm. one way or the other. So like as, as trendy and cool as it can be, it doesn't matter if it doesn't tell you something, communicate something. I think that's the whole point of art in general is just to say something. What's your voice? Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Well. I've really enjoyed our talk, I think and I good. really appreciate you coming and talking with me. Oh, yeah. It was my pleasure, Wes. So anywhere our audience can reach you at or see what you're doing? Well, we have our tasting room open in downtown Wilcox in the Wilcox Commercial Building, 180 North Railroad Avenue. Um, and we have a couple different taste rooms in there. It's Golden Rule Vineyards as well as Copper Horse Vineyards, one of my other clients. And mm. he's not open that often, but just Saturdays and Sundays. But the rest of us are going to be open Thursday through Sunday. Awesome. Well, thank you okay. so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Cool. Sweet.